This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the Mike Francesa Podcast brought to you by the good folks at Bet Rivers. Remember, download the Bet Rivers app. For all of your wagering needs, for all of your entertainment fun, so just check it out. Go to the ever-improving Bet Rivers app, download it. You can get everything you need there, including the show. Uh, and uh, they have everything, the latest lines, the most innovative wages, uh, everything you're looking for, they have for you uh, on the uh, all-inclusive Bet Rivers app. So check it out, uh, and it's very easy to find. Just go to BetRivers.com or get them wherever you uh, download your apps. Okay, um, before I get to some emails, I want to get into the Monday night game for a second. Not that anybody cared that much unless you are an uh, ardent fan of one of the two teams. Nobody cared that much about the Bears' 12-10 victory over the uh, Vikings. But this was this was the anatomy of a classic game where a coaching staff just gave a game away. Now, O'Connell's a good coach. He's a good young coach. He's got a very bright future. I remember him as a quarterback. I remember him when he got drafted by the pass. I remember him, uh, you know, uh, coming up. He's 38 years old. He's already had some success. He is everything you would want. He's presentable. He's an ex-player. He's, you know, handles everything well. He handles the players well. He handles the media well. He's, he's got the whole package. Flores is a good defensive coordinator. No one's questioning that. But here's why sometimes you let a game get away from you. I mean, completely away from you. First of all, it was an awful game, okay? But you know what? I watch everything in the NFL, so it doesn't make any difference. The bottom line is, the game turns when Fields fumbles for the first time, okay? They are going in. They are going in. Uh, Minnesota, I mean, uh, Chicago's up 9-3. They have the ball, second and 10 on the Minnesota 22. They are going in. They are going to get a field goal and go up nine points or get a touchdown and break the game wide open. What happens? He fumbles. They get the ball back. Now they've had a nightmarish game offensively. Can't run on the Bears. Who Bears can play to run. They don't play to pass well, as you know. But they haven't been able to move the ball all night. Dobbs has, re, uh, has regressed and had a terrible evening. Okay? May even cost him a starting job. You heard that uh, O'Connell made the comment yesterday. They have a bye this week, but made the comment that he will play the quarterback who best fits with Jefferson. Jefferson's back. Getting Jefferson the ball is his number one priority. The guy who can get the ball to Jefferson is the guy who's going to play. That's what he said. So, but here's the deal. They finally get clicking. They get the passing game going. 
they get a, sm- a smattering of the running game going, but they get the passing game going. Dobbs even rushes a little bit. They go back and give him what he likes, and that is they get him back to the tight end, which is what Dobbs does. He throws the ball to the tight end. We all know that. What does he do on that drive? He gets into bad territory. He hits his Terrific tight end, Hawkinson, who had had a quiet night for 16 yards. Then he hits him for a touchdown, 17 yards. Now they're up 10-9. Okay? They kick the ball back. What happens? Fields fumbles again. So now they have taken charge of the game defensively. Forced two fumbles. They've been aggressive. They've put pressure on them. They've blitzed. They get two straight strips and two straight fumbles by the quarterback. They get the ball back in Bear territory, up 10-9. Bears have two timeouts. There's 328 left. Now, you're on the Bear 43. You're one completion away. On the last drive, the quarterback just went five for six on the drive, hit the tight end for 33 yards on two pass plays. They got him into the end zone, 16 yards and 17 yards, bing, bing. Tight end, he loves to throw to the tight ends. You know that. He loves to throw to the big tight end. He gets the connection with him. He finally gets a rhythm going. Their defense is aggressive. Their defense has taken over the game. They get two straight fumbles from fields. And what do they do? They decide to take the air out of the ball. They run the ball into the line on first down. They run the ball into the line on second down to make the Bears use a timeout. Like, that should be their main priority at that point. And on third down, they don't even attack. They flip the ball out in the flat, and they lose a, a, a yard on the play. So now they're not even in field goal range. They gained nothing, zero, on the three plays. They did get the Bears to use their timeouts. But here they are. They're sitting on fourth and 10 at the Bear 43 where they started. There's still 2.36 on the clock. They're only up a point. They're not going to try a bomb field goal, even though this guy's got a long leg. They're not going to try it because they don't want to leave the ball there. They're going to pooch it, right? So they take, they try to draw them off sides because if they move up five yards, which they should have easily been able to do, one pass play there. And you had just gotten the Bears, who are terrible against the pass, on their heels, you would just come right down the field, bing, 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 into the end zone. You did not try to throw the ball down the field once. You did not try to attack that defense once in its vulnerabilities. You backed off completely just to use a minute and use their two timeouts. Now you're going to, okay, you're going to try and draw them offside. You don't. So now a five-yard penalty. The Bears accept it. So the bottom line is now you're on the 48-yard line. So... You turn the ball over to your punter, right, who's going to pooch it down to the two-yard line, okay, and you're going to take over and, you know, get another turnover, right? No. He gives you a terrible kick, and now you are on. The Bears have got over two minutes. They get the ball back on the 22-yard line with two and a half minutes left. So you gained 26 yards in real estate. That's it. They got the ball in the 22. Two plays later, they have already surpassed that. At the two-minute warning, they are out past where you gave them the ball. 
So what did it take? It took a pass play to Moore and then a run and then another run by Fields. And now they're past where you gave them the ball and they've still got two minutes left. So you took the game, which you had taken complete control of in the fourth quarter with aggressive play, with aggressive defense, putting pressure on the quarterback, using whatever numbers you had to to put pressure on the quarterback. You got two straight turnovers from the quarterback. You came right down the field with the pass, going to the quarterback strength, the tight end. You got a great tight end. Boom, boom. You get the ball back on the 43. If you make one completion, you have a field goal. Now you're up four. You make the Bears come all the way to long field. Number two, you have a very good chance there if you're aggressive to get a touchdown and go up eight. Instead, you take your foot off the gas and decide to bring all of your parts into the game, which you don't have to do. You now are going to rely on special teams to make a play, which they don't, and then your defense to make a whole lot of plays because you're giving them the ball back on the 22-yard line. Now you're only up one point. So one missed tackle, one bad penalty, and they are in field goal range to beat you because you decided not to play offense in those three minutes. You took your foot off the gas completely. When you had, you had your foot on their throat, the game was over. You had every bit of momentum. You had, in the last three exchanges, you had gotten a turnover, a touchdown, and a turnover. And you decided, we don't have to play anymore. We want this. I want to give them the ball back in a one-point game. Why? It was a terrible decision. And now, to compound matters and make it that much worse, you didn't do anything on offense. You played scared. So you kept the Bears in the game. You now put the hands in your special teams and ask them to make a play. They don't. So now you kept the Bears in the game. And now you go on defense where your defense has played well all night. Your offense has been awful. But your defense has played solidly for the most part all night. And now, for the first time, you decide to put no pressure. You're going to rush three and drop eight. Where all you have to do when they drop the eight into their zones, all you have to do is move the quarterback and move the receivers, and then you move the zones to where they, you, you can easily make one play. What do they do? Boom. Hit more. Boom. Hit them again. Next thing you know, they're down the field. Down the field with ease. They are down the field with a minute left. They're sitting there, and what do they do? They just decide, you know what? We're going to take the game down and kick the and kick the the, the the field goal, which they do with 13 seconds left. So go back. You were down nine three. Your defense made an aggressive play and turned them over, saved the game. You now got the ball there, and your offense finally went to work. You went to the tight end sets that he likes. You went to what he likes, and boom, 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 touchdown. 
Now you get the ball on defense and your defense turns them over again. And you get the ball with three and a half minutes left on their 43. One pass play means you're going to be up four. Two pass plays, you're probably in the end zone. Or you're all the way down the field and you're going to use clock and you're going to be able to kick the field goal and then make them come the entire length of the field. Instead, you leave them with two minutes and give them the ball on the 22-yard line. You picked up nothing on the exchange. And within two plays, they're back past where you were with the ball. This was a case of having taken over the game, of playing a bad game, turning the ball over all night, all those interceptions, all those turnovers. You're still hanging around in the game. Your defense saves you when they're about to put the game away. And then you come back and take over the game on defense with the turnovers, on offense with an aggressive play to your tight end, boom, boom, touchdown. And instead of that, you take your foot off the gas and play scared. No, we don't want to make a mistake. We'll give the ball back to the Bears. Let's just make them use their two timeouts. Who cares about their timeouts when there's three and a half minutes left on the clock? The bottom line was you were one play away from making it a four-point game and a couple of plays away from maybe making it an eight-point game, and you did nothing. You played scared, played right into their hands. And then on defense, you compounded that huge error where the error you made on offense with the play calling, the error you made on special teams, and now you compound that with no pressure on the quarterback after the pressure is what got you back in the game to begin with. So if you are sitting there after this game's over, you know you made mistake after mistake after mistake, and it cost you a game. And instead of being seven and five, and rolling, you're six and six, and your season's going to come down to two huge games with the Lions in week 16 and 18. Because those games are going to be what decides their fate after the bye this week. They're going to have to beat the Lions to go to the playoffs. Now, the Lions are going to win the division, and the Lions are playing for a chance to be a high seed. They gave away a lot of that with that stunning defeat. And let's be honest, they should have lost to the Bears the Sunday before, and then they played terribly, terribly on Thanksgiving. We'll see how they bounce back this week in the Wolves. They've been good on the road all year, the Bears, uh, the Lions. Now, Lions are improved. I don't think they're great. I don't think they're ready to play with the top of the game. I'm not ready to, they're not ready to play with the Niners and the Eagles who play this week. And I'm not ready to put the Cowboys with those guys yet. I know a lot of people are. But we're going to find out a lot. Thursday night, the Cowboys play Seattle. Then next week, they play the Eagles. Now, the Eagles, believe it or not, are going to be underdogs the next two weeks. They're underdogs this week at home to the Niners because everybody believes the Niners are better. And everybody believes that the Eagles have been nothing but lucky because they've been able to pull these games out while being outgained badly in these games. But they find a way to pull the game out. I normally understand the idea of a team having good fortune, but to just dismiss the Eagles as one of those teams is not doing justice to who they are. I normally agree with that premise 
about teams just being fortunate and getting the ball bounced the right way, and the Eagles have been fortunate. But let's be honest. You can look at that Buffalo game and say all the things the Bills should have done to win the game. That's fine. But when, you know what? When the Eagles had to have a play from their quarterback, he made every play down the stretch of that game. And that third and 13 touchdown pass he threw was an utter classic. And then Allen comes back with a big interception. And the next thing you know, and then we go to overtime. And yes, the Bills had to sit there and watch a guy make a 59-yard kick in the rain and wind, which was one of the great clutch kicks I've seen in a long time. But you knew when they settled for the field goal, the Bills, and didn't get that touchdown because the Davis broke the wrong way in the end zone. It was on Davis, not on Allen. I've been informed that from someone I know who happens to know Allen very well. It wasn't on Allen. Allen, Allen's throw was where it was supposed to be. The receiver broke the wrong way. But be that as it may, they don't get the touchdown. And when they didn't get the touchdown, you knew something. They were going to kick a field goal, and then they were going to watch the Eagles go down the field and beat them. And that's exactly what happened. So I would be fascinated by the San Francisco game. And right now, I like the matchup because I'm worried about the Eagles' secondary. And I'm worried about the middle of their defense, and I think the Niner matchup is very good for them. And Niners have been looking forward to this game for a long time. It's going to be very fascinating to watch. Matter of fact, these Eagle games really have really put a lot of interest in this season because this five-game series here where they play in all these tough games, it's fascinating. Same thing with the Bills. We keep playing these tough games too. Because the Bills and Chiefs next week. The Niners and Eagles this week. And the Eagles have one loss and they're underdog at home. Which, think about it, is fascinating. Here's a team that has done nothing but win for two years. And the Niners are, right now, a three-point favorite at Philly. And next week, Philly goes against the Cowboys. And a lot of people are starting to believe in the Cowboys. That's the Sunday night game next week. Great game. Eagles at Dallas. And if Dallas wants to win the division, what they're hoping for is San Francisco beats them this week. And then they beat them next week. But we all know the class of the NFC is San Francisco, Philadelphia, and Dallas. We said that before the season started. It hasn't changed. Seattle's all banged up. I don't expect them to win Thursday night in Dallas. They are very banged up. Don't even know if Walker's playing. Gino's playing with a bad arm. The offensive line's all banged up. But... On the back of that, the Vikings had gotten themselves thrust back into the mix here as they hit their bye week. They gave away a game on Monday that they desperately needed. And now their season, they get Jefferson back this week. They have to make a quarterback decision, which they said they will make. They didn't just automatically give it to Dobbs. They said that they will make a decision based on who connects best with Jefferson, who's back off the bye. This is the last week of byes. We got six teams with byes this week. Then that's it. No more buys. Ravens, Bills, Bears, Raiders, Vikings, Giants, all off this week. But that is the anatomy of a loss where good young coach, good solid young coach, good staff. Flores, good coach, good defensive coordinator. 
both made terrible decisions late in the game and allowed the other team back in the game instead of just saying, hey, we have taken command of this game. We got a turnover. We drove for a touchdown. We got a turnover. And here we are again. We're going to stick it in the end zone and go up eight. Instead of being aggressive, they played right into the Bears' hands, kept it a one-point game, and then made mistake after mistake after mistake and handed the Bears an easy victory. You don't want to ever leave that as a one-point game. Because then it's one play. It's a rough in the passer. It's a pass interference. It's a slip, a missed tackle, a hold in the secondary, a slip in the secondary. You're one play away then. That game should have been put commandingly in the Vikings' hands because they had taken the game over and then their own coaching staff put the clamps on it and brought it back to it being a one-point game where their defense had to make a play. Uh Uh-uh. Terrible coaching. Big mistake. And could cost them very much in the long run. Your emails when we return. You're listening to the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Send emails to Mike Francesa Podcast at gmail.com. That's gmail.com. Danny starts us off. Tiki was just named the semifinalist for the Hall of Fame. What percentage would you give him of getting in? Also, when eligible, what percentage would you give Eli of being in on the first ballot? I think Eli will make the Hall of Fame. I don't think he'll get in on the first ballot. I don't think Tiki will get in this year. Tiki had a very impressive career. Once he stopped fumbling and once the Giants realized that he could be an every down back, he became one of the real premier runners in the league, a dominant player for a a good handful of years. Dominant player, wonderful running back. So, but it's very hard to separate yourself at those positions and get into the Hall of Fame. Very hard. Dave, I heard that the Giants uh, had to say that they're concerned uh, going back in with Daniel Jones after he rehabs from his ACL. I understand he is on the contract, so of course he's on the roster for next year, but how much pressure do you think uh, the owners are putting on the, st- on the staff to keep Jones? Listen, if the Giants lose enough games to where they are in hailing distance of getting a premier, a premier prospect at quarterback, they should take him. I doubt the Giants would trade up and give away a lot of their draft to move up to get him. But I think that should they fall into a position where they can get a pick that's high enough and listen, Williams is going one. There's no question about that. And it's going to be interesting to see. I think Chicago will wind up drafting him. I think they'll wind up uh, dealing fields and they'll wind up drafting him. That's what I think is going to happen. Um, there are three good quarterbacks in this draft, maybe even more, but there's definitely three. If you get a chance to draft a quarterback that high, you take him. The Giants are not a player or two away. And having Jones here, but having a next quarterback ready, there's nothing wrong with that. 
and bringing another guy into the fold as a top prospect, there's nothing wrong with that. He does not have to play automatically. Scott, one of the few bright spots for the Giants this year has been the emergence of uh, Thibodeau in his second season. Conversely, Evan Neal is still struggling. Is there a rule of thumb for uh, NFL front offices in terms of position and what is expected for development? Um, No. There's no rule that is steadfast. Guys drafted higher are going to get extra time. There's no question. When you draft a guy in the top five, you're not going to give him away after one season or two seasons. You are going to exhaust it and make sure that you were dead wrong. So Neil will have time with the Giants at guard before he ever leaves the team. And a lot of people feel his future as at guard, and it may very well be. And that can happen. So the bottom line is when you take a guy that high, you are going to exhaust every measure before you get rid of him because you have put a lot of currency into him and you have put a lot into him. There's no question. Now, sooner or later, you can't, especially when you have, see, when you have a coach who's successful, the general manager can't control that spot for that long on that player. Because if that coach wants to get rid of him, he just gets rid of him. He doesn't care. It's not his ego involved. That guy will buy an extra year if he's taken in the top five, but you know what? He can go too. But when you have a coach who's tied to the general manager or has no success, well, then it becomes a very, very tough call because it's very much the general manager's call. It's not the coach's call. The coach doesn't have that kind of power. And in those situations, the guy winds up staying because, the, you know, they do, they don't want to jettison. First thing they don't want to do is admit their mistake. Second thing they don't want to have happen is have them go somewhere else and be really successful because that just means you just compounded your error. You couldn't get it out of them, but the other guys do. And it happens. Guys leave their first team and go somewhere else and have big success, it does happen. You know, it, it, you know, sometimes it changes the scenery. Sometimes the atmosphere surrounding the player. Sometimes it's a new, a different coach in a different style. And sometimes the player just matures and clicks. There's no exact science in this stuff, especially in the development of players. This is Brian. I was debating with a friend as to who's a bigger bust, Zach Wilson, Ryan Leaf, or Jamarcus Russell. Well, Zach is ahead of Leaf and Russell, but that is no solace for him. And that is not anything to puff your chest out about (laughs) because you can't be a bigger bust than Leaf or Russell. When you're in the Leaf or Russell category, you have reached colossal. Now, Zach has got a lot of ground to cover before he proves again that he can play. First of all, it won't be here. Secondly, he'll latch on with another team, but it will take a big opportunity when someone gets hurt before he gets a job. He will not win a job by himself. He will have to be thrust into a job, and when that happens, he will have to take his chance and run with it. That might be two or three years from now. 
You just don't know. Or it could be next year. You just don't know. But I think as far as the Jets go, his song is sung here. Matt, with the news of the Panthers parting with Frank Reich, uh, if you were the Jets, would you consider hiring him as their next head coach? No. Listen, I don't think Frank's a bad head coach. I think he just has been put in some really bad situations. And bad situations in the NFL can devour just about any coach. And Frank's been put in a couple of them, back to back. As a matter of fact, he's the first coach fired in consecutive years since the merger. And that goes back to 1970. So you're talking about almost, you know, 53 years. He's been fired back-to-back seasons. He said, and he's got a lot of money he's going to collect, I think over $20 million. And he basically said, I think my NFL song is sung. And I, I think he's probably right. Now, he could come back as a quarterback coach. He could come back as a coordinator somewhere if he wants to. I don't think he'll be an NFL head coach again. I think the stigma of having been fired two years in a row, the second time in season. First time might have been in season two. I can't remember if he got fired before the end of the season. Oh, he obviously did. Yeah, he did. It's fine. He did. Yeah, so it's two years in a row. Um, not only two years in a row, two years in a row in season. Uh, I think I, I, he's not going to get another job. I don't think he wants another job right now, to be honest with you. I think he sit back and collect his money. Wrong place, wrong time. Rob, after such a disappointing season for both the Jets and the Giants, this Tommy DeVito storyline has been a lot of fun. Okay. Local kid makes good, except, uh, you know, seeing a kid trying to achieve a long shot dream. Hey, I don't want to pour cold water on the DeVito thing. And I think it is a great story for a kid, you know, grows up in the shadow of the building to come back and, and, you know, get a chance to play and have some fun. But I think his performance is a little misleading. Number one, he was given credit for throwing touchdown passes at the end of the Dallas game. I mean, come on, the game was, you know, 40 to 10. And then he played Washington, which is about the worst defense I've ever seen at this point. And they fired Jack Del Rio after the Dallas game. I mean, their secondary was so bad. I mean, his big plays, I mean, he hit Hyatt the last couple of weeks. He hit the receivers downfield for a couple of big plays. But really, his big plays, too, were his plays out of the backfield uh, to Barkley. And they, twice, they didn't even cover Barkley out of the backfield in that game. Now, the Patriot game, let's be honest, the, the Giants scored 10 points. An interception set up their one score, and it was a broken tackle. It should have been made on the one touchdown catch. So I, I don't want to act like he's tearing the league apart. But... You know what? What he hasn't done is he hasn't turned the ball over. He's taken sacks. 
He's held the ball too long, which all young quarterbacks do, but he hasn't turned the ball over to his credit. And he's playing with some moxie. Okay. But let's be honest. Beating Washington and beating New England, there aren't a lot of Washington and New Englands left on the schedule. New England's just awful now. I mean, their quarterbacks just can't play. And then they miss a chip shot field goal. And Belichick played for that field goal, and then they miss it to send the game into overtime. So whether they play him or not, if Tyrod Taylor's ready to come back, I would think they would play Tyrod Taylor, unless you're trying to tell me that DeVito's now a better quarterback than Tyrod Taylor, which I do not think he is. So if Taylor's ready to play, I would think they would play him. But people, I know what you're saying, you know, his family's right there and he brings a lot of people to the games and they're having a lot of fun with him. You know, hey, that's fine. If you want to play him until they lose again, then do that. But it's not like he's tearing the league up. Uh, Like I said, the biggest thing he's not doing is not throwing interceptions. For the Giants, at least have won a couple of games in a row. I understand who they were against. It's going to look different when they're playing, you know, the Eagles twice. You know, that's just the way it is. It's, you know, that's, that's you know, it's, it might, it's going to look a little different against the Packers to start. You know, the Saints aren't very good, but then you got the Eagles twice in the last three weeks. And those games aren't going to be any fun for the Giants, especially for their Eagles pass rush against the Giants offensive line. That's not going to be pretty. That's not going to be pretty. But I understand that people have enjoyed it. So, hey, grab any little bit of pleasure you can out of this season. There's nothing wrong with that. Corey, if you were Adam Silver, what would you be the first thing you'd do to improve the NBA? Well, the first thing I would do would lose this absolutely colossally bad just joke of a idea perpetrated on all NBA fans that this tournament in season means something. Explain to me what they're playing for, please. And tell me anybody who has any interest in this thing. And who cares if they get a trophy and 500K during the season? The problem the league has is, is that they cannot keep their players from taking off whenever they please in the regular season now. Their players now think it is their absolute, absolute privilege. And they're right not even a privilege, a right to just take off whenever they please and don't want to play. Now, when you visit a city as infrequently as some of these teams do, think about it when somebody went out and spent a lot of money on a ticket to see one of their great stars, whether it's LeBron or whether it's, you know, Luca or whoever it might be. And then the guy doesn't even play the game because 
hey, it's a rest night. That has just destroyed the credibility of this league. It has completely destroyed the regular season. I can tell you this right now. I have refused to watch the NBA during this joke of a tournament. Refused. When they have told me about, oh, it's this in season, this, and then show me the different court and give me a break, I will not watch the NBA because of this. I have refused. I will watch the NBA when the games start to matter because this is a complete joke. And the NBA needs to come to some grips with their owners and players, sit them down, and get them to understand that the regular season has to have credibility. And they have really taken a blowtorch to their credibility with this nonsense. The NBA should be embarrassed. That's how bad this is. They're a second-rate league. What they're putting forth right now, they're a second-rate league. Dustin, seems like Stroud is so effective because he play, keeps plays alive and scrambles but looks to throw instead of run. You think that style of play is uh, effective? Well, heck, yeah. Hey, having an ability to prolong the play, a la Roethlisberger, where you do it with just instincts and guts and toughness, quick feet, Stroud is good at that at a young age, and those plays are devastating in this league. Mahomes does it all the time. Hurts does it all the time. You keep the play alive. Allen does it. You see all the great ones do it. And those plays are lethal because you can't keep covering people downfield forever. And when they get a route rerouted and rerouted the right way, and they are in sync with their receivers, those plays are deadly. Now, having a guy who can throw the ball and wants to throw it first, I think is a good thing. Having a guy who has escapability, though, is also a positive thing. So the way Allen can use his legs or Hurts can use his legs is a distinct positive. So there's nothing wrong with that but you still have to be able to first and foremost beat people with your right arm or your left arm. But the bottom line is that you have to first be able to beat people. I think beat people from the pocket on third and 10, but also be able to prolong plays and beat people with your arm. But when you can add that you can run the ball and turn third and 10 into a play where you know, you're still a threat to get a first down with your legs. Those are, that, that's a big positive. It never can be dismissed as being a distinct positive. But run first quarterbacks, I don't want. Uh, but guys who can make a play with their legs, that's a good thing in the long run. There's no question about it. And Stroud has shown, really what he's shown more than anything else is an incredible confidence in his own ability at such a young age. 
He's shown an awareness, but he's also shown a confidence. He's not afraid to make any throw at any time. He comes into the league, and you can tell real confidence versus someone who's just trying to make it look like he's, you know, got some swagger. This guy believes in his ability. Throw in some explosive receivers like Tank Dell, who was, you know, burst on the scene and made big play after big play. Shows you where you can get a wide receiver. They don't have to be taken in the first five picks. I mean, look at what he's doing. And look what those youngsters are doing in, in, with a very good young coach. The Houston thing is very, very solid. They lost the game last week, part of it because they've had trouble with their kicking game, but they also made some miscues, I thought, in their, in their approach and their play calling and different things, but they still played a tough game. And they got torn up by Lawrence, but they played a tough game against a good team. They are arriving quickly, and their future is absolutely golden. And that's obviously something that is having reverberations because when guys like in Carolina are picked in front of them and aren't producing, it puts a lot of pressure from ownership, which wants to know, hey, I moved heaven and earth to get this guy, and look what this guy's doing behind me. I'm sure that's come up quite a few times in Carolina this year, where they already are on their second coach. Have a good day. Thanks for listening to the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.